Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Online security starts with a click. NordVPN encrypts your internet traffic and hides your IP and virtual location. NordVPN helps protect you against bandwidth throttling from internet providers, where ISPs slow down your internet to get you to upgrade. NordVPN allows you to switch your your country's IP address to access Netflix, Disney+, YouTube Premium, etc. in other countries for cheaper prices. NordVPN offers unparalleled browsing security and protection from hacking of personal data. Get your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com slash 5RSN or use the promo code 5RSN to get a discount on your NordVPN plan plus one additional month for free and a bonus gift at checkout. All of this is completely risk-free with NordVPN's 30-day money-back guarantee. NordVPN.com slash 5RSN or use the promo code 5RSN and start saving with the world's leading VPN provider, NordVPN. Are you a South Florida property owner with an insurance claim? Are you dealing with water, mold, or fire damage? Looking for a reputable, fully licensed, insured, and certified contractor? Water Cleanup of Florida is here for you 24 hours a day. When a disaster strikes in your home or business, you need specialized, fast, and reliable services. Water Cleanup of Florida understands the impact and stress an unexpected disaster may cause. With over 62 years of combined experience, Michael, Robert, and Eric and their team is prepared to handle any size disaster. The guys are born and raised in South Florida, so changing the narrative on the way contractors conduct business in South Florida is extremely important to them. Their objective is to make cleanup and insurance claim process painless and hassle-free. Water Cleanup of Florida is also a licensed building contractor, so they provide the A to Z service, one-stop shopping that busy homeowners and business owners require. There's no need to bring in other contractors. They will handle it all for you. Call or text them anytime at 561-408-7835 for immediate assistance. The number again, 561 561- 408-7835. Water cleanup of Florida. This show is brought to you by Prize Picks. Prize Picks is a revolutionary new daily fantasy game whereby you pick two, three, or four players to go over or under their fantasy point projections, and if you're correct, you win. Pick two or more players from the same sport or league, or go cross leagues for your parlay. Use the promo code 5, that's F-I-V-E, 5, and receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100. But first, sign up at prizepicks.com to start winning today. Sports betting season is in full force. You need a sportsbook with integrity and longevity like BetUS. 
You may already know this, but BetUS has been pioneers in the sportsbook industry for almost three decades, thriving and paying their loyal customer base. That is BetUS.com. They have loads of bonuses. Join now or call 800-69-BETUS. That is 800-MY-BETUS. And you will receive a 125% sign-up bonus by using the bonus code 5. That's the word 5, F-I-V-E. They also have re-up and referral bonuses as well. Follow my lead and open an account with BetUS. You bet, you win, you get paid. BetUS. This show is brought to you by Lewis Peters State Farm, agency representing the number one auto and home insurer in the United States for more than 60 years combined experience in the insurance industry. Local agents that understand South Florida's unique market, you have access to them 24-7, walk in, call in, click in through lewispeters.com. You can find them online on social media at SF Agent Peters, or you can call at 305-275-5585. Remember, lewispeters.com. Welcome to Three Yards Per Caddy, a podcast covering the Miami Dolphins and the NFL. Now, here's your hosts, Chris, Alf, and Simon. And we're on, and welcome to another edition of Three Yards Per Carry. I'm Alfredo Arteaga. I have Chris Kaufman here, and I have his alter ego, Simon Clancy, as well. Oh, did I did I let the cat out of the bag? Well, we'll figure it out in, in a few seconds. But as so always... If this is a ventriloquist with his dummy, who's the ventriloquist <laughs> and who's the dummy? I don't you're know. The, you got to decide that. <laughs> you're the dummy, dickhead. <laughs> As always, we are brought to you by Manscaped. Use the promo code 5RSN and you get 20% off your entire order. Uh, hello, Simon. Hello, Alfred. We've just done this. I know, but we, we're doing it now for the audience. How was Los Angeles? You were gall- you, you, you were you were gallivanting about the South. Now you're gallivant- you were gallivanting about the West Coast. How was Los Angeles for you? How was the Super Bowl? How was that stadium? Give us a feel for the entire experience. Uh, the uh, Los Angeles <clears throat> remains the biggest place in the world. I mean, I, I think if you, for, for people that live in the UK, if you don't, if you've never been to Los Angeles, if you go from from San Bernardino to um, Fuck, what's it called? It begins to see. Anyway. Essentially, it's about 86 miles from one side to the other. So it's the same as living. It's the same as getting from Manchester to Birmingham here in the UK to go from one side to the other. It's just mental how big it is. Um, But we stayed in Manhattan Beach, which is beautiful and amazing right on the Strand. Uh, It was sensational. The weather was beautiful. People were beautiful. It was just lovely. The stadium is absolutely insane. Uh, it's just like a spaceship's landed. It's just, there's not a bad seat in the house. The video board is incredible. The game was great. The experience was great. The halftime show was incredible. Um, it was a real privilege to be there, really. Um, but that stadium is absolutely like, it's absolutely rocking. I mean, it's quite, um, it was pretty rough on the way out. I mean, I've had a few experiences at US uh, NFL stadiums coming out after games where, I think some of the locals just try and sort of, I mean, I was, I can't remember if it was Carolina or Atlanta, but there was a, like somebody got shot outside the stadium when we left, which was exciting. And there was Atlanta. Like a, mass, 
massive street fight going on. I think it was Atlanta. Leaning toward it. Leaning toward it. But the locals uh, in Inglewood were kind of gathering around and the police were there and people were being arrested and people trying to steal people's bags and shit when we were going out, which was, you know, you don't see that. But Charming. um, Overall, the experience was amazing. It's a great stadium. Um, Like I said, great game. And, um, yeah, it's, it's... so loud in there. It's really, really loud. I mean, given that it was only 72,000, um, it was like 16 Dolphin home games all piled up together. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I said it. <laughs> so, yeah, oh, it was good. Low blow, low blow, Simon. Low blow, low blow. And I'm sorry to Adriana from the Dolphin who listens to this podcast. I don't know if she's not involved necessarily in the stadium noise, but she's involved with the stadium. I don't know if she listens every week. So, um, uh, you know, there you go. All right. So, what did you make of the game? Uh, the result, you know, I don't know. Everybody's like, everybody has a complaint about this call or that call. But are we, you know, are we really, are we really going to be bitching, be bitching about a few calls at the end when T. Higgins grabbed Jalen Ramsey, tried to rip off his head, then almost ripped off his head, and then caught a touchdown pass that without, you know. They're not in that game. They're not in that game toward the end. So, did you I mean, get the thing? Is, are, you, you can't say they're not in that game. They led. They led until like a minute to go. <laughs> well, but they were behind. They were behind two scores, and then that that penalty. Well, you know, where, where were they behind two scores? They, they weren't behind two scores. They, they were, were down thirteen three. No, they were at halftime. They were down thirteen ten, were, weren't they? They, they were down thirteen three in the first quarter. And the, well, uh, I mean. So three quarters. But the T the T Higgins play was the beginning of the, the second half, right? Yeah, right. The in the beginning of the second, second half. half. And they, they, they gave took them the a lead. lead. And yes. They took a lead, and that and that's they they held it. They held the lead. Yeah, they held until, the lead until the, the last minute. So yeah. you know, and look, I, I I don't have any complaints about the game. What I would say is that I would suspect that Zach Taylor, who I thought coached a pretty decent game, will uh, think long and hard about the fact that he had second and one on the Rams 49 with 59 seconds and two timeouts left. And they didn't pick up an extra yard at that point, mm. knowing that you only needed 10 yards to get your field goal kicker or 12 yards to get your kicker mm. to put the game into overtime. That to me was, a, that to me was disappointing. I think because that the, the play to chase up the sideline, I thought chase probably could have got three or four more yards as well. He sort of ran out of bounds. Mm-hmm. First down play picked up nine. And there you are with second and one. I, I totally get the the, the the second down call. Just, you know, try and go deep, try and go for the win. Um, but Chase kind of got held up and that's fine. But I know Samaji P. Ryan's a great, you know, an excellent third down back. He's very good in pass protection. Joe Mixon, not quite as good. I, I just have to question if you're going to run the ball on third down, you have to have your, your you know, thousand yard monster in in there rather than have and also i just don't understand teams that run out of a shotgun like that in third and one just you know oh neither do i drives me crazy yeah i understand bringing the i mean they had a play in the first uh when was it so it was in the second quarter so we're driving down i think it might be on the drive where mixing through the touchdown they literally brought in a jumbo set with like extra tackles they had a tackle eligible they had three tight ends and they ran the ball for like six or seven yards and you just think come on guys you know in that in that just get under center, just snap the ball, bit of misdirection or hand off to a, to Tyler Boyd, you know, on a little reverse or whatever. Just, I, I thought there was no way they would lose the game at that point. Um, you know, I thought it was going to overtime. I just thought, you know, Burrow with the ball in his hand with a minute left, two timeouts at midfield, second and one. Felt like it was game over, but 
yeah, I think Tom, I think Zach Taylor will have a lot to think about as far as that goes. Yeah, if you if you guys want a, a real laugh, I, I I think I said this on OnlyFans already, but uh, I bought the over on two and a half yards from Samaji Perrine rushing. He had zero. <laughs> ah, ouch! I looked at it well, and I was like, "Are these Zach idiots giving? Are these idiots you. giving away money?" And I'm like, "Yeah, they're giving away money. Let me put something on that. You know, this is free money that they're handing out." No. Zero yards. No, not so much. <laughs> well, at, Zach, to his credit, Zach Taylor owned up to that. You know, he was asked, and um, and he was like, you know, listen, it's just one of those things that that happened right in the moment where we had the pass protection crew out there, and the running back coach even asked him, you know, hey, do you want to do you want me to sub? Do you want me to sub in uh, Joe for this? Um, and you know, he just kind of made a gut call and said, no, nah, leave it out there. He, Cause he felt like he got the play call out there. One of them. Anyway, he got the play call out there kind of late in the clock. And so he didn't want to push it. And uh, he owned up to it. He said, I mean, you know, that was probably, this, you know, learning experience. You're, you're always going to kind of shoot your, um, you're always going to be down on yourself for calls like that. So, um, so that's, I thought that was cool that uh, that he actually like went ahead and told everybody that that running back coach tried to do the right thing. Um, yeah, you know because that that's exactly those those guys end up nobody knows what they do or say right those assistants right and um that because they're not the guy with the 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 big the big headset so um yeah so I thought that was that was interesting but um the I, I don't have any complaints about the calls though. Like, I don't know about you, like the, the officiating or, you know, this call, that call, uh, even, you know, talking about T Higgins, it's a, I, I, they were just letting the players play to me and it wasn't egregious to me. Uh, what was going on out there? It was just Super Bowl players playing, you know, playing hard against each other. And I, I mean, there, there is such thing as like, you know, really egregious stuff, but I, I don't know. I didn't see it that way. I just th- I thought this was a, a a Super Bowl with these guys duking it out. Ended up being a really fantastic game. So yeah, I felt the only egregious call was the the non call on T Higgins. Like you you pull uh, Jalen Ramsey had really good coverage there until he got his his face mask pulled to the ground. <laughs> he falls down and it's a touchdown in the Super Bowl. And that play though is that Ramsey is not in great position and he's not looking back for the ball. And it's a back shoulder ball as well. I'm not even sure that the face mask makes a great deal of difference because Higgins has to come mm-hmm. so far back for the ball and Ramsey's momentum is taking him in, in the opposite direction. I just, you know, he's a great player, but body control-wise, it's humanly not possible to do... I think Higgins makes the catch. I'm just, you know, maybe he doesn't get in because Ramsey's still on his feet, but I don't think the, the face mask has any actual impact on the on him catching the ball because at no stage has he ever looked back for the football and he's going so fast in the opposite direction whereas Higgins is slowing right down and coming back to the ball yeah I, I saw it that way too I mean I I, I thought yeah I, I thought that there was um I mean I'm not going to say clean I just I don't know that it really well, Ramsey gave him way too much Ramsey gave him way too much space to the boundary to catch that ball so there is room there for T Higgins it's just that you know when you see a guy get pulled when he's running and he falls to the ground and it's obviously unless he's trying to flop and he has been known to try to flop and actually get those calls like he did against the the Cowboys a year ago. But uh, unless he was, although that's, you know, 
like, come on, like how, how brave do you have to be to try to attempt a flop in the Super Bowl? But he, he was pulled down. So it's, it should have been called. It's just, you know, and the result, you know, you got to play the result there. It ended up being a touchdown when it should have been offensive pass interference. But enough of this game. I mean, he barely slapped the guy in the face. I don't know. I, I, I didn't see it that, that bad. I don't know. If you watch the replay, there's fingers I mean, inside right the face now, mask. I'm watching it right now. I mean, in, in real time, it's like a face slap. In real time, it's hard to see. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost one of those things where you have to look at it in in slow motion to get the okay. whole feel. For evidently, it. evidently, he's got faster hands than, you know, than uh, Bruce Lee. I mean, he's because <laughs> if, if that's more than a face slap, you know, I, I don't know. Whatever. I didn't think uh, Ramsey made a great play at the goal line. But other than that, like he got beat for some big plays in that game. Yeah, Cincinnati really didn't care who was out there on on either guy. They just ran their offense, and which kind of that's, that's what they've been doing all year. Yeah, you said that about Ramsey though. Watching, I mean, I was watching them, the two of them, Chase and Ramsey, man on man. Ramsey gave Jamar Chase absolutely nothing all day, apart from the big catch he had, which was an incredible one-handed catch. You know, and I was right behind that ball, and at no point did it look like it was going to be completed. But Ramsey absolutely shut Chase down completely. I mean, the, the, you go back and look at Chase's catches; they were all made on non-Ramsey. I mean, he was mm. he was in his grill at the line of scrimmage on every single down, and never gave him an inch. He's um he's a really good player. Yeah, well, I wonder what was happening with Aaron Donald. Why was he a, a non-factor in the first half with no quarterback hits, no pressures, no tackles, oh, no assists usage. on tackles, and then all of a sudden he's unblockable in the second half. It was usage, though. It was it was yeah. it was what he was being what he was being asked to do, and I think this was on purpose. I, I don't think they were trying to unleash the guy in the first half. You want you have a guy like uh, Aaron Donald. You you really want you really want him to do his damage in the second half. Um, I think that in the first half he was a, a lot of decoy stuff uh, for him. Like he was tying up multiple blockers and, and, you know, they're, they're running people around him and, and, um, and trying to get people to the quarterback that way. Um, but I think that in the second half, you know, that's when you start, okay, well now we're going to do things. Now we're going to do things to try and, and, and make sure that he's not got two or even three people looking at him. Um, so talk about the fourth down sack or the fourth down almost sack, but the, the play on third down was the bigger play. I mean, he mm-hmm. ran first down there and, and, and he's almost past Donald and Donald pulls him back with one arm and stops him yeah. short. I mean, that, that's the, that's the, the play that people don't talk about because of the sack, but the, the third down play was, you know, otherwise Cincinnati, you know, that game's going to overtime. Um, if he doesn't make that play. So, and there's yeah. kind of some, some breaking news out there in, in the ether. Uh, he's talking about like running it back. Uh, people that are retiring don't talk about running it back. So mm-hmm. I guess that was all talk, right? Uh, I don't oh, know what yeah. you heard while you were over talk. there. I mean, I thought it was talk. Yeah, it felt like it was It, it felt like it was a, a possibility. It certainly did feel like that, especially when Rodney Harrison came out and him and him and uh, and Donald are tight. But, I mean, I, I just can't... It, I can't think of many players who've retired in their absolute prime. What's, you know, eight seasons, seven first team all pros, three NFL defensive player of the years, Super Bowl. I mean, you know, there's something for getting out at the very, very, very top. But, you know, this is a walk in first ballot Hall of Famer, probably the greatest defensive tackle of all time, or certainly in the conversation. Um, 
and walking away at his absolute height would make no sense. But maybe there's just a bigger picture, a body picture. He doesn't want to end up, you know, mm. doesn't want to end up aches and pains for the rest of his life. He's achieved everything he needs. He's climbed the mountain. Uh, you know, I could understand if he'd walk away, but I, I think he'd just miss it. He's just too good a player to walk yeah. away. Although I think he's the one that gives the aches and pains to everybody else. because yeah. He's just so dominant. And yeah, and I'll, I'll go ahead and say it. there's been a lot of great defensive tackles, but if we're counting, if we're going to just go by accolades, like who the hell is going to come close to him? You know, if he keeps at this pace, like there's no reason to think he's going to slow down. He's still just as good as he was a couple of years ago. So, yeah, you know. But what really caught my eye, and and that's still out there, like it hasn't been refuted. Uh, he actually was thinking about it. Sean McVay stepping away. Like, I don't know if you heard that, but it was like damn, damn near deafening on Sunday. Super Bowl Sunday, everybody was talking about it. If they win the game, he could actually walk away. He still hasn't said anything about that. Yeah, he has. Yeah, yes. He, he has. What, what has he, came, he said? Oh he, oh, he came out and said that that's not true. Yeah, he said he's that's coming what, back. Yeah, he's oh, okay. coming back. And, and I right. think he d- even did that before the game. Okay, because like, it was like it was he, he addressed it. He addressed. I mean, yeah, it, it popped out there, and then like, um, and then I, I, I remember it being pretty, pretty quickly refuted. Like he was like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm staying. Like no matter. And I think this was before the game because it was like no matter which way the game goes, um you know, I'm coming back. Um, hmm. So I, you know, that was, yeah. And the guy's, the guy's 36 years old and, you know, he's reaching the pinnacle this his second Super Bowl, And I don't know, maybe he's got ideas of, uh, of not working 75 hours a week. <laughs> um, I like the idea of television, doesn't he? And he's getting married. Yeah, um, right. Exactly. He'll be working for, you know, but again, it would just make. I mean, what's what I find interesting about that game is that if the Rams hadn't won, Sean McVay would be getting a lot of criticism because I don't think he called a particularly good game. I mean, right. so first down runs, and it was, it, they only really came alive offensively towards the end of the game when they almost on that final drive. It was just like, where mm-hmm. was this? Cincinnati didn't change up a lot on that final drive, and it's just like, why were you just continuing to run on first down when the Bengals front four? Well, front seven, really, but front four was playing superbly. Logan Wilson played really well. They were absolutely dominating the game. You just thought, why do you keep handing the ball off? It's clearly not working. Just try and mix up a bit, some reverses, you know, some screens. Just get them, if you want to run the ball, at least get them to move back out of the box because, you know, they're walking Jesse Bates up and all sorts of things. Von Bell was coming up into the box as well. It's just like, you know, you've got the opportunities on the outside. And this was even before Beckham went down. You know, um, it's because they scored early. Yeah, well, they scored exactly. early, so then they're like, "Oh, if we establish the run now, we win." They yeah. didn't. <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, so Cincinnati, back to the drawing board. That's three Super Bowls that they lose. The first one was really not in heartbreaking fashion because that was my introduction to football. Actually, that first Super Bowl in 1981 against the 49ers, and yeah, the score looks close, but. If you go back on it, like that game was actually pretty much over toward the end of the game. But then, of course, the second one was the the big drive, uh, Montana to Taylor. And then I guess, you know, it they fell victim to Stafford to Cup. And Cup on that last drive, like, wow. Like, they, they didn't have much else out there running with him, and they still couldn't cover Cooper Cup. So, the no-look no pass was an absolute all-timer. Yes. Yeah. You've got, yeah. you've got to consider the, the moment, the time. 
the, the situation. That's got to be one of the great throws of, of all time, given yes. the way he placed it. B, the fact that he put it between three defenders. C, and you can see from the reverse angle two things. One, that he, he clearly never looks. He's looking the opposite way the entire time. And also just what it does to freeze Von Bell for that split second to allow Cup to come open at the top of his route. It was just, it's just an astonishing throw. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's like you you wonder, you wonder like, okay, they know Cooper Cup is they know Cooper Cup is the guy. How does he keep getting open? You know, you got three. Well, that's that's how. <laughs> that's exactly how the quarterback, the quarterback got him open, you know, and um, and so that's I mean it it was it was a, a tremendous moment. I thought I agree with Simon though. The um for most of the game, you're wondering what the play calling was doing. But um, but for Cincinnati, I don't I don't see back to the drawing board. I think, you know, I think they're they're they look very promising from here on out because they have a lot of cap space. They're obviously going to revamp and um, and and totally redo that offensive line, which is which is just I mean, fuck, Isaiah Prince was oh, sorry, excuse my language. Uh, Isaiah Prince was at uh, at right tackle um, getting thoroughly abused all day long by Von Miller. And and I think that uh they're look promising. They got a great quarterback. They got Jamar Chase. You know, they're they're they got some pieces. They got pieces on defense. I, they, you got to think that they look pretty promising going forward, uh, especially as they if they finally get to use some resources and uh, and address that offensive line. Yeah, I can't. I, I can't think they're going anywhere fast. I mean, you keep Jesse Bates around. You you revamp the offensive line. You probably keep Jonah Williams, but you know, beyond that, they're a, they look a really good team. Yeah, yeah. Um, Mike Brown's their owner, so that's, no, that's no. that. That'll come around pretty soon. If if he spends, if he spends on the offensive line, I guess, and is the question. But but you, you, know. you got you got to protect Burrow. You know, you can't allow six times in you know in three quarters of a season as a rookie and tear his ACL being sacked and then be sacked seventy times. That's utterly unsustainable for anybody. And I believe um, he has an MCL now. Is yeah. is the injury they're calling it? Yeah, but you know, the, we we all know this. You know, it's hard to find quarterbacks in this league. These unicorn guys come along very rarely. You protect mm-hmm. this, you can have a 10, 15, 20 year starter who could be anything he wants to be, but he could be out of the league in three years if they don't protect him. And that's you know, that that would be you know, as a fan of football, you'd hate to see that. Mm. All right, and so well, you were going to say something, Chris? Yeah, I was just going to say that you know, despite the offensive line, and they were they were not good, right? I mean, we've we've known that all year. Um, I just, I just really like watching the, the, the fact that they, the, they go for it anyway, you know, they, they, they really go after it in the passing game. I mean, they, they got weapons, you know, they got T Higgins and, uh, and Jamar chase and, um, and Tyler Boyd and, and they've, so they, they go after it in the passing game. And, um, even though they know they have bad pass protection and it's just so, it starkly contrasts, I think, Miami's approach, where, where I think that um, we had to operate a hyper quick myopic passing game because we were so scared of our offensive line, and we had a good reason to be scared of the offensive line because they were awful in pass protection. But um, but in this case, you know, you had a team that that really, I mean, they they won a game against the Tennessee Titans despite getting sacked nine times. 
mm-hmm. you know? <laughs> um, and, and so they, they just sort of accept the sacks are going to happen and, um, and, and they keep, they keep slinging it and they keep, um, they keep throwing it to their, their playmakers. And, um, and I think, you know, down the field, including, and I think that uh, Miami did it differently and I don't, I don't think it worked out. Um, but you know, that's, I just thought it was a, it was a good contrast. Yeah, I've, I thought that uh, was the most underrated aspect of that Bengals team, and we'll move on to the Dolphins coaching staff here, was that defense. That defense throughout the playoffs was – I don't think it's crazy to think that that's the, the best it was, the best defense of the entire playoffs, because the Rams did get lit up against the, the Buccaneers. So I, I don't think it's crazy to, to say that. I think – the Bengals defense was absolutely great, even including in the Super Bowl. I thought they were really good there, too. So anyway, moving on. Dolphins kind of filled out pretty much the entire. I, I think that's everybody, right? Or they're missing. I guess they're missing a safeties coach unless maybe Boyer's going to do that. No, I mean, is, is Burks going to be like the entire DB coach? Well, they 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 announced him as cornerbacks coach, as oh, returning right. cornerbacks coach. But I don't know if, if I, I'm I'm told it's a promotion, but I don't know if it's the entire secondary. Because last year they had a secondary coach and they had the cornerbacks coach. Uh, to explain to our listeners the way that works is that a secondary coach is the guy that's working with the personnel on the sideline for the defensive coordinator and actually drills them during the practice. And the cornerbacks coach is working on technique most of the week. And on the sidelines on a weekend, I mean, when they're playing the game on Sunday, he's not doing all that much. So I guess Charles Brooks is getting moved up into the Gerald Alexander seat. I guess I would leave a spot, or is Boyer going to try to fill out that spot? I don't know whether well, he's you know- there. I don't know. Kurt Kuntz was the uh, assistant DB's coach, and you know maybe he's he's up for um, promotion or something. Who knows? Yeah. So I'll start with you, Simon. Your thoughts on this entire staff from top to bottom uh, looks pretty impressive on the offensive end. Uh, I really like Daryl Bevel, and for whatever reason, some people on Twitter were like, "Who the hell is this guy, and why is why are you happy about him?" And I'm thinking to myself because his resume is good. Anyway, your thoughts, Simon, on this staff, especially on the offensive end, because on the defensive end, there hasn't been that many changes. Yeah, I mean, part of your problem is you're listening to people on Twitter, Alf, which is... Um... Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, I went out there, like, really excited about Daryl Bevel, and, and people were asking me why I was insane, and I was like, well, I don't know. Bevel has worked with, you know, Russell Wilson, Aaron Rodgers, Brett Favre, Matthew Stafford, Trevor Lawrence. You know, he's a quarterback coach, not the offensive coordinator. You know, he ran into some questions in Seattle over his uh, over his play style he is the quarterback coach there are not that many people out there who have worked with three maybe four you know certainly three first ballot hall of famers in Favre Rogers and Wilson and Stafford you know maybe if he wins another one he'll probably end up <coughs> in the hall of fame as well he's working with the quarterback that we know that needs help Frank Smith a love I've heard a lot about Frank Smith in terms of his creativity, uh, the work that he did with Rashawn Slater, who turned into an all-pro type left tackle for the Chargers this year, certainly helped that run game, you know, with Austin Eckler and, uh, and Jones and all those kids that they've got there. Um, I thought, I think Wes Welker, like, you know, you li- you listen to, I've got some 49ers, for, I've got a big 49ers mate who's a bit like us in terms of really ingrained in the team, talked about the work that Welker did with Brandon Ayuk, with Debo Samuel. 
Um, I, I think generally, uh, you know, the, the offensive line coach, Matt Applebaum, speaking to a, a Boston College uh, contact who said, you know, the kids loved Applebaum, but he's a great teacher. He's a real hands-on teacher who will show you how to do it. He will show you how the system works. You know, you look at some of the, the players there, whether it's Alec Lindstrom, whether it's Zion Johnson, you look at Hunter Long, he's obviously, you know, will have been around. So it's an interesting mix of people. And defensively, McDaniel said it himself. He said, you know, he had a long sit-down chat with, with Josh Boyer. We know that he they attempted to bring in Vic Fangio. And, you know, why wouldn't you swing for the fences when an all-time coordinator is out there? Fangio doesn't want to coach this year, and that's absolutely fine. So you go back to a guy who had a, one of the best defences in the league, you know. Um, there will be question marks about who did a lot, who did what last year, and I think that will play out. But what I found really important and interesting was that Daniel said that, you know, he got he spoke to a lot of defensive players and they were really happy that Boyer was coming back. So I think to me that speaks an awful lot. Um, so, you know, I don't think the, the one question mark for me, I think, was was maybe Danny Crossman. I didn't think the special teams were very good. Um, and I wondered whether a guy like Rich Rich Passaccia, uh, who was out there, maybe even Darren Rizzi coming back, but um Crossman gets another chance, but you know, there's some serious work needed to be done on that special teams in all three phases, really. Jason Sanders had a really bad year. Pallardi was was bang average for three quarters of the season, played pretty well down the stretch, and the, the coverage teams weren't great. So, but overall, I think it's a really good young group of teachers. That's the word I keep hearing: teachers, hands on, you know, and, and they're ready to build a system and they're ready to build a very specific wide zone system, but with lots of sort of flux, lots of uh, interesting plays that you, you don't see in many wide zone systems. So direct, you know, you look at sweeps, for example, you know, the toss pitch out. You know that that we will do a lot of that, but also there's direct tosses. You know, instead of handoffs, and and you know, just weird little things, a lot of motions. I mean, the the 49ers run more motion than any team in the league. So, um, yeah, it'll be very interesting to see how it plays out. But I'm, um, you know, the question marks are about Mike McDaniel. Can he put a staff together? Well, I think he's answered that. You know, yeah. he's put what I think is a really good staff together, especially on the offensive side of the ball. Yeah, and somebody asked me, uh, you know, why wasn't you know if Daryl Bevel's so great? Uh, why wasn't he hired as a head coach somewhere? Well, he was named interim coach twice in his career. That's pretty good. That has to count for something. And he has interviewed three times before for head coaching jobs. Never got one. But if you go back to it, he brought up Russell Wilson from from a rookie to elite quarterback, won a Super Bowl. So I think he should get some credit for there for that. And when for those that have asked me, well, he got canned. Well, yeah, he did get canned for missing the playoffs for the first time. In Every, six years with Tom day. Cable, by the way, they went nine and seven and his offense was ranked 11th in the NFL. So dare I say, Daryl Bevel should not have been canned in 2017 by the, the Seahawks. So, Chris, I guess your thoughts now on this, this coaching staff from top to bottom. I think, yeah, I got to agree with Simon. This has been a pretty damn good job by Mike McDaniel's first task. As head coach, uh, passing grade, I would say. Well, uh, so a couple of things. One, um, you know, hearing hearing that uh, that he was supposed to be able to hire a good support staff, that that it was going to be impressive, and then seeing it play out and seeing, you know, yeah, it it is impressive. Um, that's nice. That's nice to see because I feel like. I feel like um, we've had instances in the past where we assume so and so is going to hire a good staff or going to be able to hire a good staff, and then they, you know, maybe they don't. Um, so, you know, that's that's nice to see. That's one thing. Uh, another thing 
Simon mentioned it, you know, if you, especially when you look at a guy like Applebaum coming from the college ranks and he's playing in the, or he's coaching in the NFL now. Um, and you, you, you look at all the other guys full of young teachers, as uh, Simon put it. It makes me wonder if you, we can read into this a little bit, because I think with all the cap space that the Miami Dolphins have this offseason and with the urgency to uh, to win, uh, we're kind of like, you know, OK, they're, let's let's get some veterans in here. Let's um, let's, you know, fix fix some problem areas, fill some holes, uh, so on and so forth. And yet the, the coaching staff on the offense uh, particularly doesn't strike me as um, well, it strikes me as a, as a group that uh, is specifically well-equipped to handle young players and to teach young players. And so uh, we know that Chris Greer has sort of a proclivity toward, um, toward getting, filling his team with young players where it's sort of like, if you're, if you're 27 or older, you need not apply um at times it seems it seems as ridiculous as that uh and it makes me wonder if that's going to continue even though there's there's definitely a sense of urgency to win right 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 now um so i'm keeping an eye on that um the other thing i'm thinking as i'm watching it um play out is it's almost like a little bit of a shame that um that there wasn't a real opportunity for him to show whether he could hire uh, or establish a good defensive coaching staff because I happen to think that he's coached in so many places under so many um, very good people like Dan Quinn. Uh, he's coached under Mike Pettin, you know, maybe the, the, he didn't work out as a head coach, but I think he's a, he's a pretty good defensive guy. Um, he's coached with Raheem Morris who just guided uh, the Super Bowl winning Rams defense. Uh, he's coached, he came up with uh, Robert Sully. Uh, came up with D'Amico Ryans. Uh, he, he's been around some really, really good defensive people. And then he just kind of pulled the Vic Fangio thing out of his butt, you know? And, and so I, I think that, um, I think that if he, if he did have the responsibility to try and actually fill out a defensive staff and he didn't inherit one that was already put together by a defensive specialist, Brian Flores, then it could have actually, it could have, it could have been good. Like I think a lot of people are assuming, maybe assuming that he's an offensive guy, just like Flores was a defensive guy. And so of course he put together a good offensive staff, but he might not know any more about what he was doing on defense than Flores did on offense. And I think that Flores didn't really know what he was doing, putting together an offensive staff. Um, and I think that was shown out through the, through the three years of his tenure. But, um, but I think also I, I look at the circumstances and the fortunate circumstances that McDaniel has that Flores did not have, you know, he didn't have, he had a team that was going to be ripped apart, you know? Uh, and, uh, and so he didn't inherit anything from Adam Gase on the offensive side of the ball. Right. Um, there were maybe a, a couple of coaches that could be kept over um, none of, of import, no cohesive vision, um, no system that was uh, to be kept and, uh, and, and continued on no uh, set of players that were like, you know, a core group of players on that side of the ball. Uh, Flores had to start over on the offense and it really exposed him for his weaknesses on that side of the ball. McDaniel doesn't have to do that. Now he's inherited a team that, uh, you know, that has a defense that was established by a defensive guy in Brian Flores who did know what he was doing both on staff and in personnel. And, um, and so, 
it's striking that, you know, McDaniel is very fortunate that way. Uh, whereas Brian Flores was not. And, um, but you know, it doesn't matter because the results are going to, you know, the results are going to, um, are going to prove it or not prove it. So, um, so I think that, uh, I, I was struck, I was struck by a couple of those things, you know, how, how fortunate he was on the defensive side of the ball, um, how he delivered on sort of the, the promises that were, that we were hearing during his interview process. And, uh, and then also how it kind of points toward continued youth approach. Uh, if you, if you're really looking at it. That's interesting. Now, do you, uh, and I guess I asked Simon first, Simon, uh, some of these guys have connections to some free agents, most notably Frank Smith, who, if you believe some scouted and advocated for to Ron Armstead, something or nothing on that end. I mean, who wouldn't advocate for Teron Armstead? Uh, I think he's probably the, the most important. I think I mean, you have I'm, a co-host that wouldn't. No, that's not that's not true. Oh, okay. Especially now that especially now that Mike McDaniel's the, the system is coming, the wide zone system, mm-hmm. and it's it's. I mean, listen, I have we all have issues with Teron Armstead's injury history. Um, you know, I've heard Simon talking about it, how you can't be sure about it. You know, and you you might actually go the go in favor of like a. Uh, you know, Eric Fisher and, and some other combination because of it. Um, but when you're installing this system, the system, it's like almost a, a no brainer at this point. 100%. Uh, I, I think Armstead's a great player, but as I've said consistently, you have to, you do worry about the injuries, but you know, we'll do a big free agent primer show and we'll talk about how we think we can fix the offensive line, the three of us. Um, but yeah, I, I, I don't think anybody in that, offensive room would ever say anything about Armstead that wasn't anything other than he's a top five left tackle in the NFL. And if he's healthy, then mm-hmm. elite player. Um, and you'd only get so many opportunities to bring in elite players, but um, you know, we'll have to see. I, I'm sure McDaniel will go to the well for some players that he knows, you know, whether that's a Raheem Mostert or a Lakin Tomlinson or a Jeff Wilson or, you know, players of that ilk. And, you know, guys will obviously advocate for player. They always do for players. They've, They've been around. So, um, you know, will Frank Smith advocate for Mike Williams, for example, another injury-prone player, but a very good blocking wide receiver, a guy who's, you know, a, a deep threat, was has, has been a deep threat for Justin Herbert. You know, that's another area to look at because the Dolphins need wide receiver help. But we shall um, we shall see. I mean, I think for, for, for all of our monies, we'd try and fix the offensive line. And then that gives you flexibility moving into the draft, depending on, you know, what happens. If a Tyler Linderbaum becomes available, then so be it. But... You know, it's um, I think if you can try and fix that line, um, you go and do it. And I think, you know, given uh, and it's obvious that Mike McDaniel and anybody else that's spoken has just talked up the run game, talked up the line. You look at the signings that they've made, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, Frank Smith, you know, line dedicated at the heart of everything that, that he did it, 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 with the Chargers. You know, the, the guy Applebaum from Boston College, line guy. They've got. Know? They've got an offensive line coach as their assistant quarterbacks coach. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. No, and every single one of them is connected somehow to a high price free agent this this offseason, <laughs> which is really interesting. I just started putting names next to the guys. Sure enough, yeah, uh, all of them. All of them have a high priced free agent on the market this offseason. That's but that's the point that I like Simon just nailed it on the point that I would want to uh, to emphasize to people is like Mike McDaniel is screaming to people at this point that 
that we're we're redoing this offense and the foundation of this offense is the run. The foundation, the founding principle of the offense is if you have seven men and seven men in the box, we're going to run it on you, hmm. you know? Yeah. And, and so, you know, he's screaming this at you. He's putting together a coaching staff that is like, has a dozen different run coordinators, offensive line, tight end type coach people uh, <laughs> all together and, and so he's telling you, he's telling you what he's going to do, what he's going to focus on. And, it, and what he inherits is a unit that way, you know, run game, offensive line, tight end blocking, um, you, you name it, that is bereft, absolutely bereft. It is, it was, it was embarrassing last year. Um, and it, it's, I mean, so, so he's saying this is going to be the foundation and oh, by the way, we don't have a foundation because it was absolutely awful last year. And so I think you got a lot of people out there that are like imagining, well, we're going to go sign Chris Godwin or some, you know, really big name wide receiver, or we're going to, or, or even, you know, I'd even extend this to using the first round pick or, this, or the second round pick on a wide receiver. And, um, and I, I recognize that we've got that we're, we're revamping the skill units into more run after catch oriented. And so there's work to be done there, but I don't see it. I really don't see it. I think this guy has been screaming to you that this is about laying the foundation of the ground game and offensive line blocking. Um, and he gathered a bunch of coaches that are here to, to help him do exactly that. They're taking over a unit that was absolutely terrible in, in exactly that last year. And so this is going to, they're, this is what they're going to, their focus is going to be. And, and people are like, well, they have, you know, X amount of um, cap dollars available and they can do it all. And I'm like, well, it never really works out that way. Cause you got your own players to sign back and, and, um, and then they, they keep an eye toward the future too. And so I, I don't think they can necessarily do it all. And I think that uh, those people expecting them to, to spend big on wide receivers and such, um, you know, they're, they're probably going to be disappointed because, you know, I was having an argument with this uh, with somebody earlier. They're talking about the 49ers and they're like, yeah, well, they did spend, you know, a first round pick on Brandon Ayuk and they already had Debo, Debo Samuel. And, and that, that's true. But they had also just been to the Super Bowl like they, they were just coming off of a Super Bowl appearance behind a stellar offensive line and a stellar ground game uh, blocking for Jimmy Garoppolo and, and a set of, uh, and a set of, you know, aside from George Kittle, I guess George Kittle and Debo were kind of most of the, the skill unit there. And so it made sense, you know, there, this is infamous when you're, when you go to the Super Bowl, you kind of the very next year and you have that very last pick in the first round or almost in the last pick in the first round, depending on whether you won or not, it's, it's sort of the quote unquote luxury pick. And, um, and I think that, uh, I think that, yeah, the 49ers continue to build the, the skill units then, but that is not the place the Miami dolphins are in right now. They're in the opposite place right now. So I would really look for them to spend a lot of resources, uh, draft and otherwise trying to figure out this, um, this issue with the, uh, the offensive line, uh, and I'll include the tight ends in that and, uh, and the running backs in the ground game. And, uh, and, and if you think that there's going to be like a super high priced wide receiver and free agency or a first round pick on, you know, Jahan Dotson or somebody like that, I, I just don't agree with you. I just don't see it. Yeah. And Simon, uh, a lot of people have gone out there early on in, you know, Mike, Dan Mike McDaniel 
uh, tenure and said, okay, since we're running the ball, evidently they're going to spend a lot of resources and a lot of money on a, on a running back to tote the football. I don't see it that way. I suspect you don't see it that way either. How do you think they're going to attack that running back room? Uh, I think they're going to draft some guys. Um, it wouldn't, you know, I think they'll go after guys that they know, like a most, uh, like a Jeff Wilson. Um, and then I think they'll probably draft somebody. There's a lot of good uh, zone runners in this draft. Um, so it wouldn't surprise me if they, I don't think it'll be a first rounder or a second rounder, but I think, you know, you look at some, you know, I know, I know a back that they really do like uh, who fits the scheme perfectly. Uh, wouldn't surprise me if they bring him in. Uh, you, go back to the senior bowl, you look at Damian Price, who just had a great senior bowl. Um, you know, you can pick any of the top guys, really. Brees Hall, you know, Isaiah Spiller, these are sort of second-round guys. Kenneth Walker, Brian Robinson. Um, you know, but I think there'll be some some third, fourth, fifth-round guys, Devonta Price, Rashad White, players like that that I think they're really going to like. Um, so I think you'll have a kind of combo platter of a couple of draft picks, one or two free agents, free agents and then, you know, mixing it up with the guys that are still here, you know, whether that's Gaskin or, you know, they, they drafted Salvan Ahmed into that scheme specifically. Uh, the 49ers drafted him. So, you know, you think you figure he's probably going to get a shot, um, you know, and then there's the guys, Johnson and, and uh, Lindsay and Gaskin still here, obviously. So, you know, I think it'll be competitive, but I wouldn't expect, yeah, you know, the 49ers always, and systematically under Mike Shanahan, have always found, you know, whether that's Terrell Davis or, or Orlandis Gary, or you know whoever you go through the whole Matt Breeder and Moster, and you know even the guy that you really liked last year, Alfie, then turned into their thousand-yard rusher this season, Elijah Mitchell, you know fifth-round guy. Mm-hmm. So you know they'll they'll find the players. Um, don't you worry about that. You know they'll find scheme-specific guys who can do the job they want. Um, so yeah, I'm not worried about the running backs, but I don't think it'll be a high-priced free agent or a. I, I don't think it'll be a first or a second round. It might be a second round draft pick, but. I don't think it'd be a first round draft pick. Yeah, I'm completely with you uh, on, on that. And, you know, it's it's the type of running back that they're going to want too, right? Like they're going to want a landmark runner. They wanna, they're going to want somebody who's who's quick, fast to the hole. So I would say speed is going to be a requirement. Uh, you don't – I don't think they want any plotters. Like Le'Veon Bell types need not apply. Uh, your thoughts on the position, and then we're going to close with a hot topic around town and around this team. But your thoughts on this, Chris, like, you know, who is going to be we're going to run the ball. Who's, well, who's going to get those carries? How are they going to get those those running backs in? I'm going to I don't know if I, I don't know if I'm playing just devil's advocate or if I'm I'm really saying that um, that this is going to happen. But I would not at all be surprised to see the first round pick be a running back. Um, and I would not at all be surprised to see uh, resources put into that position because first off, you have to understand we have zero at that at that position right now. Mm-hmm. Um, Philip Lindsay and especially Duke Johnson are both free agents. They were the best two backs on the team by the end of the year, which is saying something considering they had only just been acquired uh, in the mid to end of the year. Um, we have nothing back there. I mean, we can talk about Savan Ahmed and how he was drafted by the 49ers, but he was also cast off by the 49ers. Um, and we can talk about Miles Gaskin, but he's totally unfit for the system and he's not an interesting player anyway. So um, I think that, uh, or Patrick Laird, I mean, come on. Um, so they have nothing at the position. They will Laird, have, what do you do to you, man? I'm, I'm sorry. I like the guy. In fact, in fact, I, I know somebody that, <laughs> 
I know somebody that knows him like, and, and so I, I always feel bad for, for the guy, but you know, he should be, he should be working at like an accounting firm or something like that. I have a very nice job there. <laughs> I confused um, him with Jason Sanders the first time I saw him, <laughs> but yeah, so, so they have nothing there. So they're going to have to spend at that position and the 49ers, and we can talk about their history and how they have managed to, to find backs in unlikely places. And Kyle Shanahan has a very strong history that way. And I get that. But they also had have had time to find those guys. Uh, the Dolphins are under pressure to win right now, and they have absolutely nothing in in that backfield. So I don't know that they have the time to spend a year sifting through six or seven guys to find you know find a, one or two of them that that seem to get it in the wide zone. Um, so I, I, I don't know if they're going to, I don't know if they're going to go that. So there's, that's one thing that's working against this idea that they're going to, that they're going to go in with like, you know, low, low value assets and low value, um, uh, uh, investments. The other thing is that if you go back to Brian Flores versus Flores V Greer, right. Uh, over the last uh, couple of years. And, and let's, let's toss Studsville in there too, because he's still here. <laughs> We know we know who some of Studsville's binkies have been, right? Yes. We we know who we know who they've they've been in the draft, who they and, wanted, and they can make you, you know, they get yeah. you excited, you know. Right, right. Not the Taylor J.K. Dobbins. Those are the two names. They're they're guys. They're guys that are having success in the league right now, and that the Dolphins did not draft. We know some of the uh, the guys that the front office, that the personnel people wanted to draft, right? That they that they were they were good on. Um, and then we know that they didn't, that they didn't do so. And one of and the big reason that they didn't do so is Brian Flores did not believe in drafting and using, uh, you know, premium resources on the running back position. Um, you know, he thought that it was, it was basically secondary to everything. So I think that you have this sort of effect where you've had a, a front office and, um, and maybe even toss Studsville into there that have been like, you know, trying rearing to go trying to get a, a really good back right they, they want to get a really good back and they're a little bit I think I think they're a little bit salty that they don't have a good back right now um, based on some of the guys that they did like and did want and so now you have Flores being taken off like it's like the lid being taken off so I think they're going to want to go crazy I think they're going to okay finally we're going to get to draft the guy we want to, you know, that we want to draft that, that we're going to, um, that we're get really excited about. And I wouldn't be surprised if that's at the end of the first round, if that's at pick number 29 overall, which was basically almost a second round pick anyway. So, I mean, I think that, uh, I think that we could see that we could absolutely see them use that premium resource on that position, even though, you know, there's the history with Kyle Shanahan and Mike McDaniel of finding the diamonds in the rough. I think that there's enough things working against that. And when you think about it, you know, Chris Greer is the ultimate, like he's the ultimate, whether you want to call him a collaborator or, or just an enabler, <laughs> um, you know, he's, he, he is that kind of GM. But at the same time, Mike McDaniel was hired because he is an ultimate collaborator. <laughs> so, so it, it, you're almost you're almost given like you almost have the vision of like you know the couple that can't decide what to watch on TV because they're like, well, what do you want to watch? No, what do you want to watch? What do you want to watch? And and so it's just giving I, I me think... an awful image in my head of the clock expiring on us 
all seven well, picks. <laughs> but I but I mean it, it really it really it really could be like that a little bit. And and so I think that you know if is and his staff under him are like rearing to go on a back. Do you see Mike McDaniel saying, you know, playing the role of Brian Flores and saying, no, we don't draft, we don't draft running backs real high. You know, we don't like that's, do you, do you see him doing that? I don't really see him doing that. And so I I think that, um, I think that it could actually be the recipe for drafting a guy fairly high uh, or, you know, go to free agency. I I know that they're looking at free agents out there. I don't know how much Leonard Fournette's going to get paid, but you know, he's, uh, he's out there. Um, You know, I, I think, I know it's not going to be Simon's, like least favorite idea ever, which is to trade a first round pick for Christian McCaffrey. But, you know, it, it, it's going to be a significant investment in my opinion. All right. And then, you know, this is, this is kind of the hot one right now, especially on Dolphin Twitter and among the beat writers as well, because some of them are just proclaiming like, okay, his career is essentially over here in Miami. And we're talking about, you know, two high priced what are going to be high priced free agents, we're not going to talk about Emmanuel Agua because nothing's really changed there. We do know they want him back. Now, is it going to cost more than they want to pay? Maybe. We shall see. But Mike Gusecki, Simon, some beat writers are essentially saying, okay, it's over. His career here in Miami is over because uh, you need a tight end that can block. Okay. I understand he's not the greatest blocker. In fact, he's not even a, an average blocker. But I'm not, I don't think he's, He's out of here. Do you think he's out of here? I mean, I don't really have an opinion. I think it's unlikely. I, I, I genuinely don't know. Um, Chris makes a far more compelling case than I could. I think um, I do worry that. I do worry that he can't block in a system that absolutely requires blocking. Okay, that's point number one. Point number two is that if his if he can't block, then he has to be a plus receiver, and he is a plus receiver generally. But there's a caveat to that: he can't, he struggles to get open against man coverage, and if you are playing a tight end, flexing a tight end out, he's not a move tight end; he's a flex tight end. He's not in line really. You are oftentimes going to face one on one coverage. Um, if the Dolphins improve their receiver talent then I think you're lessening the ability of the player going up against him, which is a plus for Miami. I think Mike McDaniel would have a plan for him, but I don't know whether the plan would be commensurate with his usage um, in that I just don't see him getting the ball 60, 70 times in a Mike McDaniel offense because he doesn't do the things that the offense is predicated on, the fundamentals that the, the offense is predicated on. Not to say that he can't, be a useful weapon, but I would have some concerns. I think the bigger question is what the team feels about Hunter Long um, and given his sort of lost season, what the current coaching cognoscenti believe about what his draft stock was like a year ago and whether or not they felt like he was a plus player at the position because I think if that's the case, then you could certainly make a case for letting Gasicki go. And it depends how much they want to invest in a tight end. You look at someone, Trey McBride, 
you know, or Greg Dulcich at UCLA. These are kind of the more of the well-rounded, you know, Brian does remind me of George Kittle. There are, there are players that fit the scheme better, but you have a good, you know, a good to really good player in Mike Kosicki, and it would be a shame to let him go. I think the other thing, I don't know what you think, Chris, but the other thing is that, you know, I think they're going to kick and scream about how he gets paid and whether he's classified as a tight end, as a receiver. Oh, and, right, yeah. you know, I think that's going to be a bit of an issue moving forwards, but I don't know. That'll be an interesting uh, to see play out. Um, if he were to be paid like a wide receiver, then you're going to look at his production and you're like, well, I'm sorry, you're not going to make that much money. <laughs> um, you know, I, I think that uh, I think that that's one thing to consider. I think the if there is a slap fight over that, it's just going to have to do with the franchise tag. Um, which is to say, you know, if they if they ever are able to convince the NFL that he needs to be franchised as a wide receiver, then the Dolphins are not going to franchise tag him, and that's probably what they want. They they ultimately just want the free. That's what any any agent and his player you know want is to to be free to price themselves on the market. Um, I think, like you, actually, uh, you know, I can make a compelling case either way, but I think ultimately we just don't know. Um, I think if you look in the history of Kyle Shanahan's offense and you see him, uh, the usage that he had with guys like Jacob Tammy and, um, and you look at uh, Jordan Cameron, who he had in, in Cleveland, you look at Jordan Reed, who was, you know, going nuts in this offense um, in that, uh, that first year before taking injury. Um, you look at even Fred Davis, uh, you know, go back, go back a ways to, to Washington and, uh, and go back even a longer ways to Owen Daniels. You know, you had guys that weren't kept in to pass block very much. Uh, they were released on routes. They were, um, you know, they, they were not blockers. They were, I mean, Jacob Tammy is, <laughs> yeah. Um, but these guys, these guys were not blockers. They were not even good. They were not even passable blockers really. And, Kyle Shanahan found a way to, to use them and not only use them, but use them well. And, uh, and Mike McDaniel was there the whole time with all those people. So yeah, there's, there's room to, to use my, uh, Mike Kosicki. I mean, you, you, if you're saying, if you think that this is a good coach and everybody thinks that good coaches adapt the system to the player, then if, then if people are sitting here saying that, you know, oh, but Mike Kosicki cannot play in this offense, then what you're really saying is, no, I don't have that much confidence in the coach after all, mm -hmm. you know? So, um, so I think that, uh, I think that that's one thing is that, you know, yes, he will, he would, if, if he were on roster, he would find a way to use him and it'd be a good way to use him. I believe, I believe that he has that capability as a coach. I believe they all have that capability. Some of those guys, by the way, are tight end specialists. So they're going to look at Mike Kosicki and they're like, they're going to be like, like I can teach him, right? You know, Frank Smith is going to look at him and say, I can teach him. I mean, John Embry is going to look at him and say, I can teach him. That's the coach. And that's the, the thing that coaches always do when they, they see guys coming out of the draft um, and, and so on. But uh, the other thing is that I think the front office is going to want to franchise tag him. They're not going to want to let him go for free. And so they're going to franchise tag him. And yes, they may hear offers after the franchise tag but just because they hear offers doesn't mean the offers come in at the level that they want you know for to to sell them and if they don't then guess what happens he plays you know he's he's on the team again he plays so if you're franchise if you're franchise tagging the guy don't don't be like oh yeah we're just tagging trading we're just tagging trade that's it don't don't assume that 
because, you know, once you franchise tag, you've got kind of like a coin flip time. It might be that he gets traded, but it also could easily be that, well, now, now he just has to play for you for another year because you tagged him. You, you gave a commitment for that one year contract. So, um, so I think that it's, it's definitely hard to figure out. I don't think anybody really knows the answer to this right now. Um, and, and we'll see, I guess we will see how it plays out as we go, but if they do franchise him, then yeah, we could play with him. Um, and the other thing is, but the last point that I'd bring up is this is if, if he gets traded, it's not going to be, or if he gets, uh, jettisoned by the team, I don't think it's going to be the reason everybody thinks it is, which is to say blocking. You get fired for your strengths. You don't get fired for your weaknesses. I, if he gets jettisoned by the team, it's because this is a rack based offense now or going to be, um, it was already supposed to be, but it didn't seem like they made good on it. Um, this is a rack based offense and this is not a rack player. Mike Gasicki is not a run after catch kind of player. Um, and that's, and that, that may not be a fit. His strength is in the passing game. And if his strength doesn't quite fit what you need, then, then that's the real problem. That's the real problem to me. So uh, if they do get rid of him, you know, I feel like I feel almost like it's Devonte Parker or Mike Gesicki because neither of them are rack players, and they're going to want to emphasize racks so much in this uh, in this passing offense uh, that maybe there isn't room for both of those guys. So um, and, and Parker, as we've discussed, has a very friendly contract um, that will continue on. Uh, he doesn't have a strong history of being able to play. Um, but he, he does have a, a, a nice salary. Uh, he's only making like $6 million next year. So it'll be interesting to find out. I don't think we know the answer. And anybody who goes out on Twitter and says that they absolutely do know the answer and it's that he's gone, I, I think that they're just as likely to be wrong as right. Yeah, and the problem is that a lot of people have this, this vision in their head. Oh, you know, we're going to go out there on 21 personnel. We're going to run right behind Mike Kosecki and he can't do it. Or he's not George Kittle. We'll get well. You know, guess what? Uh, pretty much nobody else. Nobody is George Kittle. George Kittle is a first ballot Hall of Famer, mm-hmm. and probably unanimous Hall of Famer. Okay, I don't think there's going to be any debate about George Kittle getting into the Hall of Fame. He does everything right, and he's one of maybe two or three absolutely complete tight ends. The way I look at it is like this: Sure, uh, Mike Kosecki can't block like maybe ninety percent of the tight ends in football. But 90% of the tight ends of football can't catch the ball like Mike Kosecki can. They're not the pass receiver he is. Dolphins will be in plenty of 12 and 13 personnel that they can use somebody as good as Mike Kosecki. And I think the tag is just, you know, you tag them, it's attractive. You know, and if you don't really want that money on, on, on your payroll, you know, try to find a, tra- a trade partner. But I don't think it's the worst thing in the world if he plays on the tag this coming year. But yeah, is is he going to be in twenty one percent? No, but you know, like like who cares? If you think your coach is as good as and and as innovative as everybody says he is, I'm pretty certain he could use plenty of ace formation, plenty of of twelve, thirteen personnel to get him out there and make him effective in the passing game. So yeah, we shall see on that. That's coming soon. Call it. I think what's the deadline to tag? do not know it should be right before free agency free agency is 28 days away by the way from today february the 16th so 
All right, that's it. There is no more, and there is no more for season four of Three Yards Per Carry. We're going to take a one-week break, and then we'll be back the following week with season five of Three Yards Per Carry. But till then. Thanks for listening to Three Yards Per Carry. You can subscribe via iTunes, on Podbean, or your usual podcast provider. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.